Well, on the night of Sunday, January 31st, um, after putting the girls to bed, I decided that I wanted some ice cream. Uh, and so instead of heading to Sonic or anywhere else in town, I headed to the Walgreens that's just on the block from our house because I decided that a little bit of half-baked from Ben and Jerry's was just what would hit the spot because half-baked from Ben and Jerry's is what always hits the spot. Anyway, as I'm, as I'm walking into the, into the stores and walking back to the refrigerator and the frozen section, there's this girl that was standing by the photo area that was kind of at the turn. and. And it seemed kind of odd. She wasn't, didn't seem like she was waiting for anyone. She was just standing there holding a can of Pringles, which I very vividly remember. And the other thing that I noticed and why I think she stood out so much to me at the moment was she was wearing one of those Joker face masks. One of, one of those, like the mask that she was wearing was a, from the from the Joker from the Batman movies. And she was, she, it was the white, the white, you know, face with the with the green makeup with the red on it to kind of look like blood. It was definitely an interesting fashion choice. So as I walked past her, she made eye contact with me and I was trying to be polite, you know, do that thing where I'm smiling with my eyes, like, hi, smile with my eyes, because I'm figuring like, well, she's smiling with her mask. The least thing that I can do, the least effort I can put in is to actually try to smile with my eyes. And so so I made eye contact and instead of eye, making eye contact back or doing some sort of thing where she smiled back with her eyes, she did the most creepy thing that I could think of anyone ever doing. She she kind of just like leaned in and whispered with a happy voice, be careful out there, there's a serial killer on the loose. If you just got chills in your spine as I said that, you have no idea how much I got chills down my spine when that happened to me in person with a stranger in Walgreens late on a Sunday night. It was absolutely the most creepy thing that's ever happened to me. I went, I, I turned the corner, but I, did, I didn't say anything. I turned the corner, I got my ice cream. I did not walk back the same way to go to the checkout. I headed out to my car after the checkout, looking over my shoulder to make sure that there wasn't a serial killer who was following me to my car. The whole way home, I kept checking the rear view mirror to make sure that there weren't any vehicles behind me. And one time there was a vehicle behind me and I was literally like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speed, I'm gonna go 65 miles an hour on this 25 mile an hour road. I just gotta get where I'm going. I pulled in the driveway and I did a quick scan of the area to make sure that there wasn't like someone who was following me close enough that I wouldn't, you know, far enough away that I wouldn't see them. But the second I got out of my car, they might murder me. Like I, like I, was, I was genuinely terrified. I headed in inside through the garage. As soon as the garage shut, I locked the garage from the unit. I locked the door from the garage into the house. I quickly did a scan of the entire house to make sure all of our doors and windows were locked with extra locks. I turned on all of our motion sensors and extra lights outside because I was sure that there actually was a serial killer on the loose and that it might just be coming after me. And then and then to try to get some comic relief, I jumped on Facebook and I posted about what had happened and this weird thing that this per, this stranger had said to me. I, I posted about that and I asked people to help me to figure out like, well, what are the chances that she was the serial killer? Most people quickly agreed, pointing out that it was a fairly creepy thing to say. And then, and then two of you ladies in the church, I'm not gonna name any names, but two of you ladies in the church, you jumped in with, with counter arguments stating that, well, no, 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 I highly doubt that she would be the serial killer because women serial killers are never that arrogant and that aggressive and that bold with their thing. You know, they're much more timid. And then, and then, and then I started to have all these other concerns. Why do these two women in our church know so much about women, women serial killers? Well, like I had all kinds of new concerns going to bed that night. And if you're wondering, yes, I did, I slept great that night. I slept great the night of January 31st. I slept not at all. I was so worried about a serial killer and then 
you know, people who knew a lot, I think too, maybe too much about serial killers in our church. Now, last week we began this series, uh, More Like Jesus, with a pretty powerful idea. And here was the pretty powerful idea. Here's the big idea that we've started with for this series. If Jesus is the beginning and the, and the perfection of our faith, then our faith lived out should cause our lives to look more and more and more like Jesus every day. That if Jesus really is the beginning and the perfection of our faith, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, if he's the beginning and the perfection of our faith, then our faith lived out, the way we live our lives, the way we practice our faith, the way we treat one another, the way we, the way we respond to situations, the way we respond to circumstances, the way we approach God, it should look a lot more like Jesus as life goes on. That we may never look and act exactly like Jesus, but day by day we can take steps to grow, to become more like Jesus every single day of our lives. And last week we talked about how we can grow to become more loving like Jesus, how we can grow to have a love that was more like Jesus. Now, today, today I want to talk about how we can grow to have a peace like Jesus, how we grow to have a peace like Jesus. Now, this week we put a question on Instagram and Facebook asking, what is the opposite of peace? I was interested to hear what some of you think is the opposite of peace. And we got a lot of great answers from you helping us understand what you think is the opposite of peace. Let me just share a couple with them. Some people said fear is the opposite. Some people said worry is the opposite. Some people said anxiety is the opposite. Some people said restlessness is the opposite of, of peace. Some people said depression is the opposite of peace. Some said runaway thoughts is the opposite. Some said chaos. Some said an inability to rest. An inability to be quiet is the opposite of peace. And you know what's interesting? As I looked at all of those answers and I thought, hmm, I wonder, I wonder which one of these is the right answer to the opposite of peace. My, my, eventually, I came back to the fact that I think they're all right. Because the opposite of peace isn't just one thing. See, a lack of peace, what we all know is a lack of peace can take you to a lot of dangerous places, a lot of dark places, a lot of unfamiliar places. When you lack peace or I lack peace, it can move us to a lot of dangerous places. It can lead us to anxiety. It can lead us to worry. It can lead us to depression. It can lead us to restlessness. It can lead us to runaway thoughts. All of that can stem from a lack of peace. And here's what's the craziest thing about that. So much of the opposite of peace is present across our world and across our lives. We live in a world where anxiety, well, think about this, where anxiety has almost become glamorized. We live in a world where you can't put down the phone, the, the iPad or the laptop and or turn off the TV because quiet and stillness drive us crazy. Where constant worry seems to be the norm. Where fear is very real and somewhat constant. Where a lack of peace has become normal in our world. And most of us think, well, yeah, 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 but that started with the pandemic. That started when, when everything went crazy last year, and we're sitting here today on, you know, kind of the right around the time of a one-year anniversary of when everything started to go crazy. Well, everything that started, all the lack of peace, it came with the pandemic. It's a result of the pandemic. It's a result of the storms of life. It's a result of the storms that kind of came and everything crazy that's happened in the last year. We would have peace if it wasn't for all of that. We, 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 that's what we think. But here's the thing, the lack of peace, the lack of peace is not a result of the lack of storms. As much as I love you and as much as I have thought those thoughts over the last year, there are, there's something that we need to understand. There's something that we need to know, something that we need to actually get deep down in our hearts if we actually want to understand and live a peace like Jesus. And what we need to understand is that the pandemic did not cause our lack of peace. The storms of life do not cause our lack of peace. Storms don't cause a lack of 
of peace. Storms reveal a lack of peace. Storms don't cause a lack of peace. The pandemic didn't cause a lack of peace. The pandemic revealed a lack of peace. It revealed the things about us that we don't necessarily like. It stripped away all of the external stuff that kind of covers up our lack of peace. And when that was gone, we felt very clearly what was there all along, the lack of peace that so many of us have. But here's the thing. Storms are a normal part of life. Storms should honestly, at this point, like if you're an adult, storms should be expected in life. Storms come and storms go. There will be good days and there will be bad days. There will be good set stretches and rough stretches that storms are a normal, natural part of life. And so if we want to become more like Jesus, part of what that looks like is learning to have peace and experience peace even in the middle of life storms. Interestingly, there are, there are two can't-miss examples from Jesus' life and ministry and leadership where, where Jesus played out, where this dynamic played out in Jesus' life, where this dynamic, dynamic played out with the people who were following and attempting to, to really truly become more and more like Jesus. Both of them involved Jesus actually sending his disciples into a storm. Like Jesus, it wasn't a surprise to Jesus. It was surprising to the disciples, but Jesus sent them into a storm. And from these two stories, we learn a great deal, a great deal about how to have peace in the middle of a storm. The first one comes to us from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. It says this, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That's a nice idea. Cool. Let's go. Let's, yeah, let's go to the other side of the lake with Jesus. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. Jesus was a little tired. Jesus wanted to get a little nappy nap. So Jesus settles down for a, for a night's nap while, he's, while they're crossing the lake. Everything is going to go great. Jesus felt so at peace that he, that he could take a lake. Everything is going to go well. That's what the, the, the disciples thought. But soon, it says, but soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. Real danger, not an imaginary danger, real danger. Something bad was actually happening. This wasn't just runaway thoughts. This wasn't just worst case scenario thinking. This was something bad was actually happening. They were in real danger. Jesus was asleep. They were in danger and they might capsize the boat. The boat might turn over. They had been in storms like this before and they knew what this type of storm could do. But Jesus, notice again, Jesus actually pushed them into this scenario. This was Jesus's idea. I believe Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen the second they got in the boat. He knew what was going to happen when they got out onto the water. He knew what was going to happen when he got asleep. He knew he was very aware of the storm that was coming their way. And he decided to send them into the storm. Anyway, he could have stood on the edge of the way and said, hey, I, I think I, you know, with my understanding of the weather, I think there's a storm coming. We should stay here and wait it out. And instead, Jesus said, yeah, Let's cross into the boat. You don't even know that there's a storm on the horizon, but I want us to go across the lake. And when I go across the lake, you don't know it yet, but we're going into a storm. And I believe Jesus led them into the storm for two reasons. Jesus wanted to see what would come out of them. 
What, what, see, there are things that come out of us in a storm. Like I said, the storms don't cause them, but there are things that come out of us in a storm. Jesus wanted to see what would come out of them in a storm. Would it be belief? Would it be panic? Will they buckle under pressure? Will they have a meltdown? Will they abandon ship? Will they turn on Jesus? Jesus knew that storms don't cause our lack of peace. They reveal it. And Jesus wanted to see what would come out of his disciples. Did they believe in him? Did they trust in him? Or would they resort to a whole bunch of other stuff that wasn't very helpful and wasn't very peaceful? The other thing that Jesus knew is Jesus wanted them to learn something about him. And what he wanted them to learn and see, they could not see and they could not learn from the safety of shore. They could only learn in the storm. So in verse 24, we're told this, the disciples went and woke him up shouting, master, master, we're going to drown. And I just want to say, I love that Jesus stayed asleep while everyone is freaking out. Like I would love to have that type of peace. Like everyone in the world is freaking out. Our ship might go down. Our ship might, you know, might end up at the bottom of the ocean and we're in the middle of the sea and we may end up in the middle of the sea. But at the end of the day, I have the kind of peace that I can take a nap while everyone else is like, that I can sleep well, that I can rest well, that I can rest secure knowing that I will be okay, that I am in secure hands, that Jesus had that type of peace. He had take a nap in a boat in the middle of a storm peace. I want that type of peace, and I would bet you want that type of peace as well. Simultaneously, we see what comes out of the disciples at this point, right? Worry, fear, worst case scenario thinking. We're going to drown. Not not just like our boat's going to go down. Like our boat's going to go down. We're going to go down. We're all going to end up dead. We're all going to drown. And Jesus, you could do something about it. But you have these runaway thoughts. You know, Jesus, we're not sure what to do, but if we're going to be scared, you better be scared with us. That's what's coming out of the disciples at this moment in time. And then it says this, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Says this, the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who who is this man? They asked each other. It's interesting that it says all was calm, all was calm, all was calm. And it says the disciples were terrified. Interesting, isn't that that when that when the storms of life stop suddenly, when when the power of God stops the storms of life, that we feel there's like okay everything is stopped, but now I suddenly feel this other weird tension. They feel terrified and they feel afraid. Who is this man? They ask each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. See, Jesus saw what had come out of them in the storm. Jesus saw what came out of them in the storm. Jesus wanted them to see what could come out of him in the storm. Perfect peace and absolute authority. Perfect peace and absolute authority. Jesus was at peace during the storm, and Jesus was at perfect peace when the, calm, when the storm had been calmed. Jesus knew and understood his power and his authority, his control. And so Jesus asks, where is your faith? Where, where is your faith? And as, and as Jesus does that, as he says that, I don't think he's belittling their faith so much as he is reminding them of what they should already know about him. He's reminding them what's true about him that they already know. He's saying, I've already told you that I'm in control. And now I showed you, if you really believe that I was in control, you have no reason to fear because the one who is in control is with you. And this is something that we should just make sure that we pay big time, big time attention to. This is something that we need to make sure we get deep down in our hearts, in our spirit, in our mind, throughout our entire lives, that you can have peace because the one who is with you 
has authority over what's happening around you. You can have peace like Jesus because the one who is with you has authority over what's happening around you. You, that, that should bring every single one of us incredible peace, that we can have peace because the one who is with us has authority and control over what's happening around us. So you want to grow in peace like Jesus? It starts with recognizing Jesus's power, recognizing Jesus's authority, recognizing Jesus's strength, that Jesus really is in control, that Jesus could rest during the storm because he knew that he was in control. Jesus thought the disciples could rest during the storm because they should have known by this point that he was in control and that he was with them. Jesus wants you to be at peace during a storm because you have a deep awareness that he is in control, a deep abiding peace that God is in control and he is with you. See, you can have peace in whatever storm comes at your, at your way, whatever storm comes at you in a diagnosis, in a moment of job loss or, jo- or loss of wages, in a moment when the sale doesn't go through, in the moments when people are talking about you behind your back, in the moments when your classes are much harder than you thought you would be, you can have peace. And you do not have peace because you realize how in control you are. You do not have peace because you figure out how to gain control. You f- have peace because you understand that God is in control. And you have peace when you recognize God's authority over the storm and that if it's gotten to you, it has gone through God. It has gone through him. Jesus showed his disciples that as long as he is with them, they could have peace knowing that he has authority over every storm and every situation and every circumstance and every rough moment of life, that he is in control, that he is in authority and he has authority. And then And then an interesting thing happens. A while later, a short time later, Jesus has a day. Have you ever had a day? Like, have have you ever had one of those days where you're just like, oh my gosh, this has been a day. I'm talking like, like, not not this extreme, but one of those Jack Bauer at CTU and an episode in 24 type of days where just everything happens in one day and a whole bunch of bad stuff happens in one day. Jesus begins this day, this particular day, Jesus begins this day by receiving the news that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed by beheading while serving in, while in prison at the hands of Herod. This was a terrible start to the day. This is the news that Jesus woke up to. Someone coming to tell him that his cousin, his friend, someone who had shown a big spotlight on his life and ministry to declare that the Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, had come to the world. This person has been killed. While Jesus was dealing with that and trying to find isolation to grieve, a large crowd gathered to hear him teach and to be healed. And instead of sending them away and saying like, guys, I just need a day. I'm sorry. I just, I just need some time. Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus decided to stick through an entire day. He taught for an entire day. He healed people for an entire day. He, while he needed, while he needed some time of isolation with God and some time of rest with God and peace with God, he decided to spend his day serving the needs of others. And he taught all day. He healed all day until it got late enough in the day where everyone realized, oh, wait, no one has any food. And we're far enough out into the wilderness where we can't just go, get, go back home and grab some food. And no one has food except for one boy. And, 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 and there's 5,000 people, you know, a large number of people here. And, there, and there's one boy who's, who packed a lunch, which, by the way, that kid's mom is for sure the most arrogant person in, like, has the best story to tell. Like, yeah, all the other moms did not pack a lunch for their boy, but I packed a lunch for my boy, and because I packed a lunch 
5,000 people get, got to eat. Like, can you imagine that mom? Like, we're going to get to heaven and that mom's going to have like a, a, a pin on her, like, like a, a ribbon that's like, I'm the mom who packed a lunch. And, it's, and she's going to be the mom who packed a lunch for all eternity. Anyway, so Jesus takes this one boy's lunch, multiplies it through his miraculous power and feeds over 5,000 people. I mean, Jesus had a day. Jesus had spent everything that he had and every bit of energy, every bit of compassion, every bit of emotional energy on this day. And at the end of this day, here's what we're told in Matthew chapter 14. It says this, immediately after this, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So again, Jesus is sending them. He says, get in the boat, go across, I'll meet you there. Go across, I'll meet you there. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. So Jesus had not found the time of isolation that he needed to grieve the loss of John the Baptist. Jesus wants some alone time to to pray, to talk to his heavenly father. So he sends his disciples back into the boat, back across the lake, so he can be alone and he can pray. And it says this in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen. Another storm came. A strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. See, this is so fascinating to me. When you think about this, Jesus sends his disciples into a nearly identical situation to one they had been in before. The difference is this time he is not in the boat with them. He told them to go. They're following where he has led, but this time he is not with them. He is physically not with them. They're alone. So what will they do? Will they panic? Have they learned to trust that if Jesus has sent us here, he's going to provide a way and he's going to protect us? Like what will happen? Will they be paralyzed by fear? And here's what we're told happens. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost, which is maybe one of the best, like just funniest reactions to anything that happened in the entire Bible. Like, like virtually nowhere in the entire Bible does anyone talk about interacting with ghosts or seeing a ghost or anything, but Jesus starts walking on water and I'm, I mean, it says they shouted, but I'm imagining this is maybe Matthew did this and Matthew's trying to cover it up. as like, no, everyone thought it was a ghost, but it's really just Matthew going like, it's a ghost. Like, oh my gosh. Like, are you serious? Like a ghost? Like we serve Jesus who has power over these stories and you're like, you think it's a ghost? like walking on water says that Jesus then spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. I am here. See, when we, when we think of Jesus, when we think of Jesus walking on water, most of us have this picture that it's kind of like Bruce Almighty. It was calm seas, still water, no waves, no wind, no problems. This was not that. Jesus was walking on choppy, windy, rainy, storm-driven water. Jesus didn't walk in the problem. Jesus walked on the water. Jesus walked above the problem. And this is just, and this is going to set someone free today. I I don't know exactly who this is for. Some of us, I think we just need to realize this. This peace comes when you realize that you can rise above the problems of life. Peace comes. 
Peace becomes a reality when you realize that you can rise above the problems of life. See, peace can be yours when you realize that you don't have to stay stuck in the problem, that you aren't stuck in the storm, that you aren't stuck with worry or fear or doubt or anxiety or depression or restlessness, but you can rise above. You can rise above. That peace becomes a reality when you realize that you can rise above the storms of life. See, and when I say that you can rise above the problem of life, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that there is a way in life to get over it. And when I say get over it, most of us tend to think, well, that's moving on, leaving it in the past. I don't care about it anymore. But when I say I'm over it, what I'm really saying is I can rise above the problems of life. I can gain a new perspective. See, 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 God said that my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My wisdom is higher than your wisdom. My plans are higher than your plans. My plans are better than your plans. And the only way that we can take a step towards the higher plans that God has is to actually step up. So we have a ladder here today, right? We have a ladder here today. And the only way I can move up on the ladder is by taking another step up. And every time I take a new step up, I rise above the last place. I rise to a new level. I rise to a new way. And when we do this with our relationship with God, we're transforming our thoughts. We're transforming our wisdom. We're transforming our perspective. And we're, we're exchanging it for God's perspective, for God's wisdom, for God's plans, for God's ways, for God's everything. This is, by the way, this is what Paul was talking about when he said in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is taking our minds and our plans and our thoughts and our ways and our wisdom and exchanging it for the higher ways, the higher wisdom, the higher plans, the higher thoughts that God has for us, the higher perspective, the better perspective on life that God has for us. So that relationship, it, that, that, it, that it hasn't been as easy as, it, as I hoped for, I still care about it. I, when I say this, I'm, I say I'm, I'm over it. I still care about it, but I'm over it. We didn't get approved for the loan that we need for the dream house. I care about that, but I'm not dwelling in it. I'm over it. I choose in every situation in our life. I don't, you know, I don't like the way our state handled, handled the pandemic. Well, that's great. I still care about that. I still might talk about it a little bit, but I'm not going to dwell in it. I'm not going to get stuck in it. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to simply, in every situation that could take away my peace, I'm going to choose to rise above and to allow God to just reshape my mind and the way that I see the events and the situations of life. I'm over it. I've gained a new perspective. I'm over it. God has given me new insight. I'm over it. God has reshaped my thoughts. I'm over it. God has made the way that I see that to be the same way that he sees the world. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm choosing to rise above in my thoughts, in my wisdom, in my perspective, in my life. I'm choosing to rise above my way of thinking, to be transformed into thinking the thoughts and the ways of God, because his ways really are higher. And I can choose to rise above, and I rise above by getting over it and getting to the place to see things the way God sees things. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. Now, the story continues. It tells us this. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. See, Peter wanted to be more like 
Jesus. Peter said, if that's where you are, that's where I want to be. If that's what you're doing, that's what I want to do. If that's where you're going, I'm going to follow. I'm a ride or die following you and trying to find out what you're about. He asked the question. He asked for an invitation because he wasn't sure if this was one of those things that he should actually try to do. Like, are you sure this is cool, Jesus? Like, I want to go where you're going, do what you're doing. But is this one of those things that's like only you thing, like the resurrection? Like, is this one of those things or is this something that I can actually do? do and be more like you. In verse 29, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw, when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Now, first of all, throughout history, throughout the history of the church, preachers like me and preachers have given Peter such a hard time because he failed to walk on water, he, you know, that he took his eyes off Jesus. But I'll say this, 11 other guys didn't even ask the question. 11 other guys didn't even get out of the boat. 11 other guys were shaking in their sandals because they didn't have the strength to get out of the boat because of the strength of the storm. Peter asked the question. Peter got out of the boat. Peter walked on water and no one else did. But here's a lesson for us to understand. There is a lesson for us to understand about what Jesus says when he says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you fall? See, Peter walked on water. Peter rose above the storm and the waves, and then he stopped. And that's what Jesus seems to confront in Peter. Peter, you had reached a new level. You had reached a new level, and then you went back. You were walking on water just like me, and then you fell. You, you, you were walking on water. You had risen above, and then you fell. And Jesus knew why Peter fell, why he didn't stay at the level that he had reached. Because instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus, he got distracted by the wind and got distracted by the waves. He got distracted by the very things that he had already risen above. See, Jesus confronts Peter about this, that if you, have, if you want to have peace like Jesus, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. You don't take your eyes off of Jesus. You want peace like Jesus? Don't let your attention return to the very things that you have already risen above. Don't allow your eyes to return or your attention to return to the very things that you have already risen above. You don't get distracted by what's happening on social media. You don't get distracted by who said what about who at the office. You don't get distracted by what's happening with the pandemic or the vaccine or whatever is happening with the political realm right now. Like you don't get worried about the, all of that. All of that matters and it's all real. So were the wind and so were the waves. And Jesus said to Peter, if you had chosen to keep your eyes on me instead of getting distracted by the things that you had already risen above, you would not have fallen. And I would not have needed to catch you. I will always be available to catch you. But you wouldn't have needed that if you had just kept your eyes on me in the first place. And you would have had peace while walking on the water in the middle of a storm if you had just kept your eyes on me. See, this same thought then is echoed by Paul later in a, in a letter that he wrote to the, the church in Philippi. Here's what he said in Philippians chapter 4. This is near the end of the letter to the Philippian Christians. He says this, Don't worry about anything. Which if that was the entire passage, you'd be like, Paul, that is way too simple. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. 
then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's a question. As we talk about having peace, experiencing peace, finding peace in the middle of life storms, having peace that can endure when life storms hit, here's one final question I would have for you. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Like, like, like life hit you and you're frustrated and you're worried and maybe there's some moments of depression. Maybe there's some moments of restlessness. Maybe there's some moments where you just don't know what to do and that bothers you because you like to be in control and you feel out of control and you're worried about it and you've worried about it and you've taken a social media about it and you called your mom about it and you've called your dad about it and you've called everyone that you can think and you've texted your friend about it. But let me ask you this question. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Because what Jesus promises, what Paul promised on behalf of the Holy Spirit, on behalf of a God who inspired the scripture, what Paul promised here is that God brings peace when we pray. That God brings his peace when we come to him in prayer. So here's the thing. I know you want to cuss about it, but have you prayed about it? Like, like, like I know you want to overthink it, but have you prayed about it? I know you want to post about it, but have you prayed about it? I know you might toss and turn all night about it, but have you prayed about it? See, overthinking it won't bring you one second of peace. Posting about it won't bring you one second of peace. Cussing about it might bring a momentary feeling of peace, but it won't bring a lasting peace. God promises that when we pray, he brings his peace, which is a peace that's lasting, a peace that goes beyond anything that we understand. He promises real peace. So before we do anything else, what if we made it a discipline? Before I do anything, before I go to anyone, before I post anything, I'm just simply going to pray. When I start to feel a lack of peace, when I feel like life is out of control, when I feel like the storms of life are raging around me, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to go to the one who, who, who can bring me peace. I'm going to go to the only one who can bring me peace. Have you prayed about it? And then, and then Paul closes off this letter with this thing. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We fix our thoughts. We focus our thoughts on the things that God has brought to us that are good and true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So you want to know how to have peace? You want to know how to have peace? Here's, here's how we have peace. You want to have a peace that's more like Jesus? Here's what Jesus' peace did. Jesus' peace, it recognized, it rises, and it resists. We recognize by recognizing God's power and God's authority. Every day, over every situation, over every circumstance, over every storm, that Jesus is in control, that he is in authority, that the one who is with us has authority over what's happening around us. We recognize God's authority. We recognize Jesus's authority. We rise above the problems. We rise above the storms. We rise above the drama. We rise above the circumstances. We rise above the situations. We rise above the noise. Not that we don't care about it, but we rise above it. We gain a new perspective that God gives us when we, when we pursue a mind and a heart 
by God's over the situation. We rise above it, and then we finally resist the distractions. We keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We don't let our eyes go back to the storm or back to the noise or back to the drama or back to the circumstances. There are things that we care about, but there are things that ultimately we still keep our eyes on Jesus, and we let him lead and guide and direct us so that we can experience and have a mind and a heart like his as we interact with the world around us. We recognize, we rise, and we resist. And if we do that, we get a peace that's more like Jesus. And here's why I think this is so important. In a world that lacks peace, in a world that lacks peace, you know we live in that world. In a world that lacks peace, a life that's at peace and a life of peace may be one of the best ways to convince the world that we have found something better, that we've discovered someone better. And if we, So if we'll experience the peace of Jesus and live at peace because Jesus has made us at peace, we can experience a peace that actually changes the world. You can do that, and I can do that. If today, if, if, if you've never done that before, experience the peace of Jesus, God made peace with you through Jesus, and you can know him and you can experience him today by placing your trust in him right now, in this moment, by trusting in his death and in his resurrection that paid the price for your sin to make you right with God, and that when he came out of the grave, he invites you into new life. That's what he did for you so that you could have peace with him and so that you could experience peace that comes from him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're so good. Thank you that we have an opportunity to know you and to know your peace. Thank you that we can choose every single day to have a peace more like Jesus that we can grow to have a peace more like Jesus, that whether today is a stormy day or whether today is a clear day, God, we know there will be seasons and there will be stretches where it feels stormy. And God, I thank you that in, the, in, in, in Scripture, that in your word, in the gospel, you took time to have Jesus interact with his people in a storm. God, I thank you for the, the words that we can learn from. I pray that, that we would put them into practice. God, help us to recognize your authority in the storm. Help us to rise above the, the, the drama and the circumstances and the situations of the storm. Help us, to, help us to resist the temptation to look back at the things and re, re-engage with the things that we've already moved on from. God, help us to simply follow you and to trust you with everything that we have and with everything that we are. Help us to grow to have a peace that comes from you, a peace that is more like Jesus every single day. And God, would you use that in us to show a peace to a world that desperately needs it? And God, in doing that, would you help us to show the world you? We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.